um, just knowledge of the text, but a, a life well lived where he lives what he preaches. And so I'm blessed that he's been mentoring me for so many years and actually transformed my life. Like I'm living, breathing, it works type case study, um, but also just that you get to hear from him as our area director for crew. So welcome up, Jamie. Thank you, Jordan. That was, that was awesome. So encouraged. Wouldn't you like to work with Jordan and Jenny? I get to do that every single day. It's such a blessing to have these guys on uh, our staff team and to be able to call them friends. And I had already planned on having some time this morning to explain crew and what I do, and now I don't have to do that. So now I can just preach longer. You guys are like, uh-huh. Wait, that's not funny. Um, well, it is good to be here. I do know a lot of the folks that come to this church. I've known Brian and Sherry since I came here. They were here before I came, but my wife Gretchen and I came in 98 to start doing ministry at Cal Poly. But as Jordan explained, we've had a wonderful blessing of the Lord to expand our ministry beyond that to a lot of different places. And so when I was talking to Brian through text, um, that's how we talk these days. When I was talking to Brian through text, you know, I was like, well, what would you like me to teach on? He's like, well, we're in John. You could always just kind of pick it up from wherever we are in John. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll pray about that. I kind of circled back. I'm like, I'm not really feeling that. Is there anything else that you might have topically that you would love for me to teach on? And he's like, how about good old evangelism and sharing your faith? And I thought, okay, I can, I can do that. That's a lot of what we do in crew and in our ministry. And I was thinking, though, like when I start to, mentioned that we're going to be talking about evangelism. I'm like, what if somebody's here for the first time? And they're like, I'm not even sure about this Jesus thing. I'm not even sure about faith or church. And I come on the Sunday that they're talking about evangelism. So you're like, oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable. Let me assure you, probably everyone else in the room is uncomfortable too. Because we're talking about evangelism. It's just, it's one of those things where, I don't know, we just have these connotations or these ideas of what evangelism is. And you know, if I were to ask you, when you hear the word evangelism, what comes to mind? You might be picturing some TV evangelist, right? Or if you're a student at the Cal Poly campus, that person that comes on campus and is pointing fingers, is condemning people, and calling sorority girls sluts as they walk by, like all of that. I mean, that could be your, um, your picture of evangelism. Or maybe it's a little more positive than that. You know, it's sharing the good news, which is literally what it means. It's to share the good news, or maybe you have done it before and you've had positive experiences. I think we're all over the map, and I think when we hear the word like good old evangelism, we might have all these different ideas. So my, my hope this morning is to kind of unpack what I see in Scripture to be three different modes of evangelism. There's a whole lot of different methods and ways that it can be done, but it seems like in Scripture there's three different modes of evangelism. So one of the things that we do as a part of our ministry is we do this thing that's been called different things over the years. It's been called uh, sharing at the Mustang. It's been called, you know, evangelizing at the Mustang, or it's been called Connect for Christ. It's got all these different names, but essentially what we do is we meet at the Mustang. So the Mustang's this big statue of a Mustang, because we are the Mustangs. Cal Poly's the Mustangs. And it's right kind of by the administration building. I heard some, like, there we go. Some Mustangs out in the audience, of course. 
And there's these benches that surround it. And what we do is we meet at the Mustang, and we are going to then go out and evangelize. So I remember one time I show up to this thing, and, I'm, and I see a person there who I believe is there for the first time. I didn't really recognize her, and she looked a little afraid. So I thought, okay, I'm going to come up, sit next to her, introduce myself, help her feel a little more comfortable. And we get talking. I'm like, so how are you feeling about this whole thing? And she's like, I'm really scared. I'm like, I get that. I get, this isn't something you probably do every day, and I'm, I'm sure it's scary. She's like, yeah, I've, just, I've never gone out into the UU Plaza and preached to everyone. And she thought that what we're going to do is gather at this thing and go out and stand in the open air and start preaching the gospel. So that was her understanding of evangelism. I want to talk about evangelism this morning and, again, talk about these three different modes. Before we do that, though, I think it's important to address the why question. I love the why question. Like, why do we do evangelism? What's behind this? What should be our motivation? And I think there's a lot of motivations, but I want to start with some things that Scripture says by way of motivation. And the, and the first is this. We are actually commanded in Scripture to do evangelism. So there's this thing called the Great Commission, if you haven't heard about that before. It's just, it's what we call the last words of Jesus, the thing that he told his followers to do before he ascended up to the Father. And the Great Commission is often quoted from Matthew 28, which we have right here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It says in there to go and make disciples. The first step in disciple-making is to have somebody come into a relationship with Jesus so they can be called a then disciple of Jesus. So that's what we often talk about as the Great Commission. But the Great Commission is actually Great Commissions. It's found in every single one of the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life. And so here's, here's the one from John. This is a book that you guys have been studying, as I understand. And this is what um, Jesus says is recorded by John. He says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me into the world to spread the gospel, I am sending you. It's also found in Luke, the gospel of Luke, unless I didn't include it. Is that what happened? Oh, my goodness. What's the problem? How about Mark? Do we have Mark? Yes, we have Mark. It's in Luke, too. Um, and I don't have a memorized, so I'm going to try. But it is in Luke, and it's also in Mark. And this is what it says in Mark. He told them, this is what was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Now, Jesus didn't do that to all nations. He just did it to this geographical area. But he's saying, hey, that's the plan that's going to be preached to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, referring to the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So um, Jesus had these amazing commands, and to remind his followers, like, it isn't over just because I'm leaving. I'm actually kind of passing the baton onto you. So we are commanded as the church to do that. There's also the consequences of non-belief. Do I have Mark 16 in there? I do. 
Um, this is another motivation. It's not just that we're told to do it, but there is a consequence for non-belief. And Jesus is really clear about that. And we see this in Mark 16. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will not be condemned. So this is what happened. That verse in Mark was actually Luke. I just put the wrong Bible. I put the wrong book. So that was Luke. We all make mistakes. Okay, so there you have it. So this is the consequence of non-belief, the condemnation or judgment for our sin. So that's a pretty heavy one. When I talk to students like, hey, what is your motivation to doing evangelism? They very rarely talk about it being a commandment. I mean, they know that it is, but it's like that's not their primary motivation. Um, and for some, it can be the consequences, but for most, it's not. What it tends to be is this. My life has been radically transformed by the person of Jesus. I came to college, and I was a total mess. I came to college, and I just decided I was going to just throw myself into the party scene and throw myself into alcohol or, or girls or whatever it is, or I'm on this treadmill of success, or, I mean, just fill in the blank. And I was miserable. I was unsatisfied. For some, they contemplated some really harsh end-of-life things. And then came Jesus into my life. And I could share my story, and I, I suppose a lot of you could share the story. Like, ultimately, that is the biggest why for us. It's like, Jesus did this to me, what is the greatest thing I can tell someone else? It's that same news. It's that same gospel. So I think that tends to be most of our motivations, but they all, they all are biblical. And it is why we do the thing that sometimes feels uncomfortable or sometimes feels hard or even we're like, I don't even know what to say. Like, this is so awkward, but I want to. I want to do evangelism. So let's talk more about the different modes of evangelism. So, again, there's like 10,000 methods, but I think the methods all will fall under one of these different modes. So the first one is known as body mode. And you might be thinking, oh, that is so weird. What do you mean by that? So body mode. So in Scripture, um, especially Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about believers, he'll use this body metaphor. And in using the body metaphor, he's like, okay, Christ is the head. He's in charge. But we're the body. And the body is made up of different parts, like hands and feet and all that kind of thing. And he uses the metaphor to illustrate that as believers, we all are part of this one unified thing, but we have different roles and we have different gifts and different things like that. So when we talk about body, the body witness or the body mode of evangelism, it's referring to us, us, all of us when we're together, when believers are gathered together, that is a mode of evangelism. And it's found in a lot of different places in Scripture where you can kind of refer back to that. Um, John 13, 34, and 35, this is where Jesus is telling the disciples, look, they're going to know you are followers of mine by your love. And then in John 17, 22, and 23, he says, actually, they're going to know that you're my followers, not just because of your love, but because of the way that you're unified. So unity is going to testify of me. And then it's all throughout the book of Acts where you see the church. So the book of Acts is the history of the church from the very beginning after Christ rose. And you see all these different incidents of the church doing its thing and how that's been a gospel witness. 
But let's look at one of those passages. This is uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And this is a little snippet of the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We could talk a lot about this passage, but it's, it's a picture of what the church did. So we have those passages like, oh, you're supposed to love each other and you're supposed to be unified. Those are nice sentiments, but what does it look like? How do you live it out? And that's what you see here. You do see they were committed to the word. They were committed to prayer. They were committed to um, sharing meals together. Um, but they also did this thing that seems super radical, and that is they didn't consider any of their possessions their own, but they considered everyone else's need as important as theirs, and they were sharing everything in common. The word for fellowship is from a Greek word, koinonia, and it means to share things in common. And the strongest sense of fellowship is the sharing of possessions and all the things that we have with one another. The church lived that out, and it says that they gained favor and that people joined them because of what they saw and experienced when the church was together. So what does that look like for us today? I mean, it looks like this. It looks like our gathering on a Sunday, but it can look like women's Wednesdays. It could look like the men's times. It can look like retreats. It can look like any social event, whether it's at your home, you're just gathering people together, or it's some kind of church, church social. Like anytime we are together, that's when the body mode of evangelism is taking place. So let's talk about this. Why is this effective? What are the strengths? Well, if you talk to most people, they'll say that I came to Christ because I was in the presence of other believers, and believers were around me, and I was kind of learning about God and doing all this stuff through other believers. It wasn't just through some message that I heard randomly through the radio or something. A lot of people say, I was already connected with the body of Christ. Um, and then the other thing that I think makes this really effective is because people that are in relationship with believers and then become one often will continue to be involved in that. We see students all the time who are involved before they believe, and then, of course, they're going to stick around once they kind of join us in our worship and belief in Jesus. So I think that's what makes it really effective. It's super sticky, and you also can kind of see how it's lived out. You're not just hearing about it, but you're seeing it lived out on a daily basis. So there are, like, lots and lots of examples of um, this mode of evangelism. Uh, one of my favorites is a fall retreat story from, I think it was from last year, where one of our students, she came to fall retreat because she was a freshman. She didn't know anybody. She just wanted to meet friends. 
um, wanted community. Um, most freshmen, they're just like, I just don't want to be alone on a Friday night in my dorm. I'm going to go somewhere to meet someone. She chose to come up with us, and this is what she says at the end of the retreat. I came here to meet friends, but I think I'm finding Jesus. And she did. And she found Jesus. What are the limitations of this? Well, one of the limitations is consider the number of unbelievers who see or experience the body of Christ. If you think about it on a worldwide scale, it's very minimal. There are entire countries that have very little witness. But also you could say there are neighborhoods, right, where there are, here in San Luis Obispo, where people live relatively isolated lives and just aren't experiencing any kind of body witness. So it's limited in that way. Um, our witness is often not representative of Christ. Sometimes we are the worst publicity for the name of Jesus. Sometimes as churches, we are caught up in other causes and we kind of lose track of focusing on Jesus. Or there's a bad reputation from other churches that are out there and then it, that label is just kind of put on us. So there's just a lot of that where people are like, I don't want any part of the church or any part of Christians, they're mean-spirited, they're judgmental, they're anti-fill-in-the-blank. So that's part of it. They're not, people aren't going to come towards us because, well, we either haven't done a good job or we have a reputation for not. It can be confusing. Um, I mean, if you, maybe you're here for the first time and I've already confused you. I'm sorry if I have. But we have this, like, lingo that we use in church. Um, crew, for example, uses all kinds of acronyms. We got acronyms for everything. Ironically, crew is not one of them. Uh, people think it is, but it's not. Um, but we have CGs and LGs. We have ETLs and TLs. We used to have NLTC, then it was LTC. Now it's the well, which isn't an acronym, but it's equally as confusing. Like, we just use all this lingo. And then that's not even thinking about the theological words that we use. You know, redemption, propitiation. Um, you know, atonement for your sins. We use phrases like, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, if you don't know that stuff, that's not only confusing, it's kind of frightening. Like, washed in the blood of the Lamb, when's that going to happen? Because I don't want to be here. We just, you know, we have all this lingo that I think can be super confusing for people, which I think that's why we need to try to explain things when we're teaching and going through all that and just not assuming that everyone knows. The other thing about it is, I think it's limited to the other modes of um, evangelism. So let's talk about those. Like body mode usually just doesn't function on its own. It's usually connected with the other modes. So let, let's talk about those. The other one is the natural mode. Um, so the natural mode, this is the one where we are talking about relationships with people who are naturally in our spheres of influence. So natural mode of evangelism happens when it's people who you already know and have a relationship with. So that can be as immediate as your own family, but it could also be uh, the carpool that you're a part of, or your workplace, or your neighborhood, or the other soccer moms, or whatever. There's all kinds of little networks, right, that we can be a part of that we have relationships in, some more close than others, but at least there's some kind of connection and familiarity. So this is, this is natural mode. You see it all over scripture, so 
in John 1, um, the calling of the disciples, what happens is a disciple is called and then he runs and goes and gets his brother or goes and gets somebody that he knows. So he's like, I just heard about Jesus. I'm going to go tell the person who I already know to come and check this guy out. Um, same thing happened with the demon who, or the demoniac that was healed. The demon was cast out, and he's like, i got to go tell other people about this, right? In John 4, which maybe you guys have already talked about since you're studying John, this is a, an amazing passage about the Samaritan woman. And I don't probably need to spend a lot of time on the context because you've probably heard it if you're a regular attender. If you're not, let me give you the brief rundown. Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated each other. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. But he decides, I'm going to go through Samaria, which most Jews go around. It's such a hated place. He decides to go through there, and he meets this woman, and he starts up a conversation with her. So not only is she a Samaritan, which is like taboo, but she's also a, a woman, and normally a rabbi would not have a single, like a, a lone conversation with a woman. And she was also drawing water from this well in the middle of the day, so most people speculate that everyone knew about her reputation, and so she was uh, unclean in that sense. So kind of a taboo thing for Jesus to talk to this woman, but he decides to start this conversation and has this really cool interaction. Well, this is what happens as a result of that interaction, and this is what the passage tells us. So after Jesus reveals himself to her through some miraculous ways and through just claiming to be the Messiah, the promised one, she leaves her water jar, goes back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then there's another part of the passage. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard our for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. So because of her experience, she just goes back and tells the people that she knows. And the key thing that she does is she brings them to Jesus. So when we think about evangelism, yes, it's a message, but it's a person, right? It's a person. And there's a lot of things that we can get evangelistic about. But we want to make sure that we are evangelizing about this person, Jesus, who is alive, who lives within us once we put, place our trust in him, and we want to introduce other people to him. So it's not just about conversations and apologetics, the word that just means like giving evidence for the faith. It is about introducing people to Jesus. So why is this one effective? What are its strengths? Well, if you're in relationship with the person, you can have ongoing conversations. Uh, so it's, it's usually not a one-and-done, or I met you on a bus, or I was out doing, I don't know, surveys or knocking on doors or whatever it is. You have this ongoing opportunity for ongoing conversation. Uh, there's already trust that is built, and then also they have uh, seen the gospel in action that depends on the level of the relationship, but usually they, it's not just, again, uh, a theory or words, but it's a person. In this case, it's Jesus living through you and giving evidence. Hopefully, it's the evidence of love and grace and peace and all the things that the fruit of the Spirit produce in us. Um, lots of examples 
uh, over the years of natural mode. I think one of my favorites is this dude named Ben. Um, and Ben was roommates with, um, with John and Reed. And how Ben first got connected to the gospel is, well, the Bible study's in your house, Ben. Surprise. But they decided to host the Bible study in their, in their house. Ben comes from a pretty strongly Jewish background, but thought, oh, what the heck. I'll just hang around and, and sit in the midst of this because my friends, John and Reed, are part of the Bible study. So Ben ends up hanging around this thing and, you know, a lot of story and a lot of time passed, but I happened to be there when Reed shared the gospel with Ben after Ben had been kind of learning about it and being around other believers. And it's so beautiful when Ben placed his faith in Christ. And Ben then became a leader in the crew ministry. Um, he actually led our large group gathering, our LG, um, led our large group gathering. And, um, and then I had a, the privilege of doing Ben's wedding when he met a Christian girl that he had met in our ministry. And now he's raising Christian kids. And it's just like, you know, ripple effects of this is just incredible. But that's just because Ben knew Reed and John, and he invited them to continue to be a part of what they were doing. So that, that again, that's just like one example. Um, okay, so that's natural mode. Let's talk about one more. Oh, wait, we need to do the limitations, because there are. Um, Here's, I think the limitation with natural mode is that we feel like we don't know how to do it or we're just not doing it because it's, it's scary or it's awkward or we're afraid of losing the relationship. I think that's a big one that students will talk about. Like, I'm afraid to bring it up because I don't want to lose this relationship. I think that one has more to do with our imagination. We just imagine that it's going to go awfully. We, we sometimes imagine it as though it's going to be this big argument, and it's going to be this like, apologetic back and forth, and I'm not going to know what to say, and I'm going to look dumb. Um, or we just imagine it being so awful, and usually it doesn't go that way. And I think we, as the evangelists, can control that by being patient, <laughs> by being kind, by not, we're not forcing people to believe anything, right? That's not our role. Our role is to simply talk about this person that we met, Jesus, and to listen and to ask good questions and things like that. So I think the fear of the losing of the relationship, I personally have never had that happen in any of my evangelism. And it's not because I know what I'm doing and I'm an expert. It's just because I try to be like Jesus and be kind and compassionate and listen well. And if I say something offensive, it's okay for me to either apologize if it was offensive in the wrong way or to say, that is the truth of the gospel. But even if you don't believe it, I'm still your friend. I'm still in your court. I'm still for you. That doesn't change anything. Another limitation is we don't have relationship with non-believers, and it's limited in scope. If you think about how many people actually know somebody who truly follows Jesus worldwide, it's extremely limited. And so if we are actually going to see the whole world, all the nations, come to know this person, Jesus, there has to be yet another mode for that to happen. It can't just be body, and it can't be limited to our natural relationships. There has to be something else. And that mode is called ministry mode. 
and you see that in a thousand places in Scripture. Um, it's everywhere. Ministry mode is kind of when you, I almost say it this way, like evangelism is kind of an event where let's just say it's meeting at the Mustang. So we're going to go out and we're going to do evangelism at this particular time and place, right? Um, it could be a uh, good old uh, Greg Laurie crusade, right? That could be um, a ministry mode event because it's like this thing that's happening and you're inviting people to come and hear the gospel. It's often with people you don't know. I think that's where ministry mode can sometimes distinguish itself from natural mode. Ministry mode is could be also just I'm on a bus and I'm going to take the initiation. I'm going to take the initiative to share Christ with a stranger. I think ministry mode has that element to it. It's like it's somebody you don't know and I'm I'm now in this mode of doing evangelism with a person I don't yet know. There is so many different examples in scripture. I just listed some of them. Um, the sending out of the 12 in Luke 9 um, we can look at that real quick. You can kind of see what Jesus does. So he, he calls his disciples together, and he gives them, gives them power and authority to drive out all demons, cure diseases, and then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he gives them some instructions, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, one thing about the Bible, when you're reading what, what are called historical narratives, or in this case, the book of Acts, it's kind of a, the history of the church, they're descriptive texts. They're describing what happens. That doesn't always mean it's prescribing the exact method that everyone should do in every generation and every time. So this was the method that they did, the details that are in there. Um, methods vary. There's a bunch of different ways to do ministry mode evangelism. We use surveys. We use um, picture cards. Um, we have students ask particular questions. of their, There's like a thousand different ways to do it methodologically. My point is, though, it's ministry mode because it's like, let's go do it. <laughs> let's do evangelism. So the mode, I think, is universal. The method can be particularly cultural or situational, okay? So um, what are the limitations of this one? Uh, it can be socially and culturally and socially challenging, to just approach someone you don't know and start a spiritual conversation, right? That could be culturally out of step or situationally awkward. We have to admit that. It can be. The other limitation is that there could be a question about its effectiveness. Is this really an effective way for people to come to Christ? This random person starts talking to them about Jesus. Well, I think it's just going to depend. I would say in America in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, it was very common for people to hear the gospel for the first time. And because of where our country was, uh, was at or where they were at, the person was at culturally, it was just like a, an easy next step to receive Jesus. We might be more culturally distant from that now. And so our role may not be to be the final person who leads that person to Christ. We might be just a step 
in the progress of somebody coming to know Jesus. So it depends on what you mean by success. Is success seeing somebody pray to receive Christ? That's amazing. But it could be just helping a person understand Jesus better. I tell my students, if somebody has a positive interaction with a believer, and they leave going, wow, that person was loving and kind. They listened. And now I understand a little bit more about the gospel. That's success. That is total success, especially in a culture that has a lot of anti-Christian sentiment and perspective. So those are the limitations. Um, here's what I want to finish with. I think I have a slide for this. Yes. When we think about evangelism, I want us to think about that our goal is through the work of the Spirit, help to move people to the next step in their spiritual journey. You might be the person who gets to share the gospel and someone's like, I've been waiting for someone to tell me this my whole life. I've had that. It's happened. Or it could be the first time that they realize that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. And he's not this God who's just condemning and judging. Who knows? But you get to be a part of that process. I think a golf analogy can be helpful. Um, I think back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, to see somebody come to Christ was just like, is like a putt, like a two-foot, that's too long for me. How about a one-foot putt? Six-inch putt, right? This is like, okay. It's just like, oh, okay, this is easy. I'm just going to like, anyone could do this. Like, it was like that culturally. But I think a better, I think the golf analogy works, but we're not putting. It's like sometimes your job is to get the ball in the fairway. It's just like get the thing started. And maybe you're the second person who gets to like hit it closer to the hole, and maybe you get to chip it up on the green. Or maybe you get to be the person who puts Who knows? It doesn't matter. It's all great to be a part of the process because our goal is just to move somebody further along. The other thing I would say is that all modes require initiation. I think body mode, often somebody needs to be invited to the thing. So somebody has to do that. Take the initiative to invite. Natural mode, maybe your friend will ask you about your faith or about Jesus. Maybe. It happens. But often we have to initiate spiritual conversations. And then ministry mode, clearly, that is an initiated thing. And we can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit. The church didn't start without the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't start his ministry until he received the Spirit. We shouldn't even think about doing anything without the Spirit, especially evangelism. Here's some thoughts. Um, be curious, not judgmental. Um, sort of stole that from Ted Lasso, but I think it was well before him. Um, but, yeah, I think we need to be curious, ask good questions, listen well, talk about spiritual things without the pressure to convert somebody. Um, and then uh, here's, here's how I want you guys to think about applying this message. Did I make a slide for this? Yes. Sometimes I wonder about myself. So what are your next steps? Well, it could be a lot of these things because they're all different modes and there's lots of different methods. So I don't want to limit it, but here's some thoughts. Uh, invite someone to an event, a service, over for a meal, or out for coffee. That ain't all that scary. Ask a spiritually curious question of a friend or acquaintance. 
Uh, you don't have to use the language, I'm curious, but it works. You could just ask a question like, I'm curious, what is your spiritual background? Did you ever go to church? Do you consider yourself to be spiritual? Do you think spirituality is important? These are like just five examples. Is it five? Four. Four examples of what you could ask. But just find out about people, and who knows where that can go. So I'm, I'm going to close in prayer. But before I do that, I'd love you to think about one of these things, and I want you to attach a name to it mentally. Like, is there somebody you can invite out to coffee or something more or whatever? And then when you're with that person, maybe you could just try one of these questions and see what happens. You know? Let me pray. Well, Lord, I thank you that you have not only told us to do this, but have done something so radical in our lives that um, I think all of us have a motivation to come alongside someone else and give them life. Thank you that that's what we're giving them. We're giving them you. We're not giving them a church experience or giving them a set of beliefs, but it's a, it's a person, you're a person who is alive and gives life and shows people the way and is the truth. So Lord, give us the boldness we need, help us to overcome any of those fears or doubts. And I thank you that you show up through your spirit in some crazy ways that I think our faith grows when we share our faith. So would we have a chance to experience that? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jamie. Hey, guys, in, in closing, we're going to sing a song, and why don't we all stand? We're going to sing one of the songs that we had sang earlier. But when we do, one of the things I want to just really consider, um, let's all stand. And um, as, as closing, thank you, Jamie. It's such a great word. And guys, listen, I, I want you to think about the fact that we live in a world right now that's filled with darkness. And some of that darkness is inside you. Some of that darkness is something you're making your way through and trying to process and make sense of. Um, and so I think the idea of, like, communicating our faith has such poignancy in this moment right now. Because there are people that need to know Jesus, that need the light of the gospel. And so I think it's so practical for us to just even think, just as Jamie, I challenge us, who are people in your life right now that you are the voice that God wants to use to show the love of Jesus? Um, for some of you, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. The, the hope would be that you would come to meet Jesus. And I want to pray for you just a second here. But then we're going to sing and just lift up our voices in this song one more time. But as we pray right now, again, just one, one final time. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you feel that, sense that darkness that's there, you need hope. Again, our world is so insanely disrupted right now. And as a result of that, your life and peace and sensible sense of, of stability is also threatened just along the lines of everything else. The hope of the gospel is a means to anchor us, not only in the past of what Jesus did, not only in the present, so we're not freaking out, but also in the future that we have a hope as uh, C.S. Lewis would describe, I went through the C.S. Lewis thing last night. Further up and further in. That's what the hope of the gospel is. Further up, further in this life that we live in right now is not all there is. Further up and further in. It's available. It's a hope that Jesus offers to those who trust in him. So I want to pray for us right now. And let's just lift up our voices. So Jesus, right now, if there are any here 
that sense this ache in their soul, that sense the need to be awakened, to have their eyes opened. And maybe not even sense the need to choose you, but to realize that you have chosen them right now to step into life that you offer. God, open hearts, open eyes. And if that's you here this morning, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or you to do anything other than right now in your own heart, ask Jesus just a simple prayer. Jesus, take my life, my sin, my brokenness, my anxiety, my burdens, my pain. Wash me, cleanse me, give me life. I place my confidence, my trust in you, Jesus, as the Savior. Scripture is pretty clear that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God rose Jesus from the dead, you are saved. Welcome. Welcome to the family, if that's you. Let's lift up our voices right now.